Hi, welcome to fucking Pack One Pick One, the best Yu-Gi-Oh podcast ever made. I want to say that while well, this episode is going to be covering my 20 hot takes on Ikoria, I do have something else to cover first, which is uh, going to be my new recurring segment and uh, episode type that I'm going to be doing on this podcast for the foreseeable future. And this one is going to be called Zero to Hero. And it's going to be short episodes that I drop every Sunday. And uh, these are going to be covering my progress and thoughts on ranking up and limited and constructed on Magic Arena. Be talking about the decks that I'm playing, tracking my wins and losses, thoughts on rank progression, etc. And the first episode of that is, I said, going to be dropping this Sunday. Not sure when, hopefully no later than the late morning. And uh, we'll be consistent every Sunday after that, unless something big comes up. In which case, I'll try and record earlier so I can at least publish on those days. Now, alright, since this set is almost over, but uh, since it'll still be in the draft rotation for a little while, at least on Arena and Magic Online, it'd still be good to talk about Ikoria and uh, my own opinions, uh, takes on the format. Usually, I uh, try and keep to about 20 of them or so, since I want them to each be meaningful, not something like, Red is one of the five colors in magic, or like, blah blah fucking card has reach. You know, I want them to actually be a little more substantive than that. So that's kind of why I keep them a bit smaller, so I just only really keep what I think is the good stuff. Now, for this one, it's going to be a little bit different than my others. They were all focused before on just limited, mostly draft only, but I did kind of throw in a few others on Ikoria that aren't just strictly limited related. So without any further ado, why don't we get into these? Okay, number one. The strongest deck in limited, if all the pieces come together, is red-white cycling. Of course, you'll be paying other cards in your deck that have a cycling cost of like one, but you're only really going to be casting red and white cards with it. I think uh, most of the community would agree. I actually play a red-white cycling deck in standard, but uh, I've not gone for it in limited, though. Mainly because of the next reason. Take number two. That being said, the cycling deck is hard to get due to people wanting to play it. So you should avoid this unless you pick very early or pass very early some of the strong payoff cards for it. You can find enablers, um, although those will dry up after a while. But the payoffs, you need to get those fast. Okay, number three. When playing a mutate deck, Aim for the mutate creatures and payoffs. You'll get plenty of mutate targets later on, like Egg, Brushwag, Limmerbell, etc. What you really need to make sure that you get enough of are the creatures that will actually be doing the mutating. You need a lot of those. So uh, take them early. 
take them whenever you can unless there's something else really crucial in that pack. Speaking of mutate, take number four. Premium removal for mutate stacks is crucial. You're going to want at least two to three cards that allow you to straight up destroy or remove from the battlefield a target creature that um, you know would be having a mutate stack so you don't get overwhelmed by a value engine, whether it's bouncing it, destroying it, whatever. You want to be able to not let yourself get overrun by those, which can happen if you don't have just destroy target creature. And uh, the ones that work at instant speed are better, so you can disrupt their mutate stacks. Tank number five. While fun, the ultimatums are traps. If you get one early, you can build around it. But don't build your whole deck just trying to cast that one card. Usually being a high CMC, three-color card, can be a recipe for disaster. The set is not like cons. Yes, it's wedge-themed. Got dual lands at common, there are some support uh, for multicolor cards, tricolor, but uh, you actually want to go ally colored. So if you're trying to force an ultimatum, unless you it's like one of the very best ones, and you get it like pack one pick like one, two, three, or four, it's not worth it. Yeah. And I have played decks where I've had multiple ultimatums, some of the same one multiple times, and it just did not work. It wasn't worth it. So, number six. If you have anything worth taking near the end of the pack, if you don't have anything worth taking near the end of the pack, take any one-mana cycling card that you can, in case you can use it later. You may not be able to cast it, but being able to pay one to draw a card at instant speed, not too shabby. You can do a lot worse than that. It's better than a card that's just totally unplayable. And uh, that also can help cut out people abusing the cycling deck if you can uh, get your hands on that early. Moving away from cycling for a moment. Number seven. Almighty Brushwag is the best mana sink in the format. It's a good mutate target, buffs itself up with trample, can be a decent early play. If you're in green and mutate, you're going to want at least one or two. Number eight. This one's actually not really for uh, limited in Ikoria, but um, this can just apply to any limited format. Uh, if something is open, then take it. Along those lines, make your uh, own opinions on the limited set too. You know, whether it's Ikoria or Core 21 or, you know, Alpha, which I know all of you draft all the time. Just don't base your draft picks and plays based just on what people like me and, you know, less famous podcasters like Limited Resources and even less famous people like Lords Unlimited uh, would say. There's always exceptions. There's always cases where, you know, their heuristics aren't just going to be something you can blindly follow. You know, just because pros say, oh, you know, green isn't great in Ikoria, don't be afraid to take it. There's still plenty of reasons to go into a color like that. And you need to know when um, to make the right decisions and to not just follow any of our advice, because we're not infallible. Um, So make sure you're always doing that, because if you end up writing off something entirely without doing it or 
um, using it when the time is right to use it, then that actually can stunt your growth in limited. So, you know, be cognizant of that. Now, number nine. Here's another hot take. Maybe the hottest out of this. Ranking the colors from the strongest to the weakest in limited for this set. Alright, in my opinion, best worst. Black, red, white, green, and blue. Of course, each color's got good cards, reasons to go in and play them at times, but that's that's what I say. Okay. Now, what makes black and red so good, take number ten, is their removal. Yeah, they have good synergy cards for cycling, mutate, humans, whatever. But they've got the best straight-up kill-target shit at lower rarities, which is what you need in this set. Definitely. Especially when your opponent plays their bullshit bomb creature or tries to make their mutate stack going. You can't let that happen. Gotta get rid of that. These are the colors to do it. Now, number 11. Going away from limited again for a moment. But that red-white cycling deck that I mentioned, it's also really good for standard, too. Outside of maybe running Sacred Foundries, you can build the whole damn deck just from commons and uncommons from Mycoria. You know, save yourself on Mythic and Rare Wild cards. I personally run this deck, which I will be discussing on that Zero to Hero series of episodes. And I've had a lot of success with Red-White Cycling. I like it a lot. Easy to build, quick games, um, you know, great for getting in your daily wins. And again, no rare or mythic wild cards, it's a big bonus. So if you want to play a strong, budget-friendly deck on Arena, this is definitely the one to get into. Red-White Cycling. Okay, number 12. Let's keep uh, talking about Arena for a moment. Ikoria is the first set on Magic Arena where you can draft with other people. <laughs> no, no. When I started this episode, I wouldn't waste my time saying obvious, you know, hot takes on the set, alright? Like, wow, you can draft Arcoria with other people? No fucking way, Flynn. <laughs> what I mean is that it's valuable for learning things about a format if you're playing with other people that you can't learn from bots. As many of you know, you all probably play a fair amount in paper at your LGS or with friends doing drafts and whatnot. And you know that bot is far different than when you actually play with other people. Because this is where you start to be able to have the meta of the draft. It's not just, oh, blah blah color is good, this card is, this card isn't. You're actually being able to focus on the other key aspect, which isn't just how your games go, but how you navigate the draft, reading signals, uh, giving them, etc. So I highly recommend that if you all haven't done so for any reason, play with other people on Arena and do the human drafts. Yes, it's not a pure experience because it is not within your own pod, but listen, we have to start with somewhere on Arena, alright? I know a lot of people don't like doing same pod events online, usually because of the time. I would still prefer it myself to get the purest draft you can. But in the end, um, it, you know, it's better than just bots. 
So uh, it's a fine start for now, and hopefully Wizards sees how much of a success this was, eventually gives us that other option too. Ooh, lucky number 13. Here we go. Now, speaking of that, I actually just mentioned this earlier, human drafts are cross-pod. So, don't spend too much energy hate drafting and worrying about signals that you give in the draft, because you're not going to be playing against these people anyways. Focus on your deck. Your own. Not necessarily your other pod's decks. Okay. 14. We're going to be talking about a controversial mechanic in this one. Companions can be worth taking. This is for limited. But only if you get them very early in pack one, for the most part. Now, I've gotten a companion twice in this set, I believe, with Karuga and uh, Gairuda. Actually, a companion with Karuga twice. And while it's fun, I wouldn't totally shift your whole deck to play one after pack one, because it can be difficult to get enough cards and quality ones that will meet the restrictions. Maybe something like Garuda or, or Karuga, well not Karuga, or Zerda. You know, Kahira, you might be able to make it work past pack one, but it's tough. So they're good, yes, but don't force yourself to get, like, make it, like, if you get it late. Now, 15. While blue and green are commonly ranked among the weaker colors in this set, the signpost on common, Primal Empathy, is absolutely nuts, and it will get out of hand fast. I believe getting it early is a great sign to go in the blue and green. Yeah, it may not be as strong as other colors, but black and red can't really beat that kind of value engine. So uh, I'm a big proponent of using it. Very much hate going against it. Okay. I'm going away from limited and actually uh, any kind of constructed with this next hot take. Believe it or not, it's going to be about something with Ikoria in general. And it's this. 16. Ikoria Collector's Packs were the first collector packs to actually really fit the definition of being for collectors. You know, nobody really knew at first how hot those Godzilla cards would end up being. I'm sure a couple people predicted, like, Nostradamus did, the Mayans did back in the day, they needed to be super good. You know, some rando MTG finance guy probably predicted it too. For the most part, we all knew that people would want them, but wow, did these things shoot up. So, that property tie-in it got non-MTG people interested, you know, with a specific fandom, making the cards more blingy than just, you know, a slightly pimped out art or whatever for a standard playable card. So, learning from this lesson... If I ever see any collector set again actually have a tie-in with another property that's even remotely popular, that's one I'd go all in on. Not just one like Theros or Aldrain, uh, you know, something that's got actual collectability outside of this game. Okay. Still sticking on this uh, sealed product trend, 17. Unless you get a box for cheap. For this set, definitely buy singles of cards and paper. It ain't going to be played for a while in stores. Not very much, either. 
and the cards, even their alt arts, are very cheap. Now is the time to get what you might want. Some of them may go up over time, but now it's a good chance. And collector's boosters definitely help lower the prices of the other cards. Okay. 18. When drafting, you may want to aim to make a certain deck or archetype. Not just on generic value cards. Most cards are useful if they're in the right deck. You know, con are the days of limited, where cards aren't really, um, what's the word? A lot of cards aren't playable in any deck anymore. Basically, everything can be useful outside of a handful of cards. You just have to be in the deck that would use them. 19. In regards to human draft. Now, what your opponent has made is actually just as, if not more important, than what you're doing. Um, when I say opponent, I mean uh, not within your pod on Arena. This is that cross-pod thing. See, you can make a good deck for your pod. But if they got really hooked up by theirs, doesn't matter how much yours was in comparison to your starting group. It matters how uh, your opponent navigated their draft and what they were given by their people. That's what really makes the difference. Because even if you have a bad deck, they could get a worse one. But if you can have the best deck in your pod, but if you know the best deck in your pod is a B, and you get matched up against someone that got an A-plus from their pod, well, you're fucked. Outside of severe RNG. And for the last one, number 20. <laughs> Honestly, this is the hottest take of the set. Companion was a total mistake. It's alright and limited, but it was a disaster in everything else but maybe EDH. You know, and time will tell for that. Even with the nerf that happened to it, it's still just way too good to just have in your deck. Is something you can just pull out later if you have the mana and need it. You know, if your deck just meets a restriction, just even on its own, well, may as well just run it. It may cost you, what, more mana to get it now, but you just the option of even having that is crazy. Okay, well, those are my 20 takes for Ikoria. That takes care of that. So, I will be doing on... This Sunday, the first episode of my Zero to Hero series, where I'll be talking about uh, going up in Magic Arena, like on Seal, uh, like Limited, Constructed, Mastery Pass as well. We'll talk about that. Look out for that. And I'll also be making that one a video episode, because even though M20 will have been out for a couple days, I'm going to be opening up some very cool Ikoria product on that one. So you're going to want to see this, because I've been, I've been itching to open this for a while. So look out for that. And then this following Wednesday will be an episode focused on M21. As I know I've said before, um, you know, still would like to do some more EDH-themed episodes, but it is difficult to get my usual crew for those at the moment. It's difficult to do a lot of things right now, so I will make that work as I'm able to. Don't worry, um, those will happen someday. And yeah, I guess that about covers it. Look out for those coming episodes soon, and 
eventually, I think in a few weeks from now, um, one of my episodes, I'm going to be unveiling some really cool plans for the Pack One, Pick One Nation. So get excited about those. You know, really cool announcements to come soon. And until then, thank you all for listening as always, and enjoy M21.